0: Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. Good morning. All right. Uh, In your bulletins, you'll see two handouts. One is for the sermon notes today. We'll get to that in just a few moments. The other one is for the kingdom ministry. We've talked about it for several weeks of how it was originally designed for our altar team, our church leadership, uh, and in th- those groups that help lead the ministries. But we wanted to open it up to everyone uh, in the church, just f- for if there's that desire in you to operate in power, to be able to minister to people through leading someone to Jesus, praying for healing, praying for deliverance. That's what we're going to be offering. It's just a, a beginning foundational uh, training for five weeks, but I would encourage you to sign up today if you have not done that. Uh, teenagers, we want you to sign up. If you want to make an impact in your school, we want you to sign up. And what we decided on late last week is uh, instead of just watching the children uh, during that time, we're actually going to be training them also. So I'm going to be doing uh, training with the adults and my wife Sharice is going to be with the children. I believe we're going to try to break it up into two different sections where we'll be able to teach the younger children and then the older children. So what we're going to teach them is how to lead somebody to Jesus, how to pray for somebody when they're sick and hurting how to pray if somebody's looking sad or depressed, how they can minister to kids at their age. We made a commitment to you when I candidated that that there's no junior Holy Spirit that we want to bring the children along just as the adults are coming along. In fact, if we have a few elementary, middle school, and high school students that catch the fire of God, they will surpass us and they'll lead the way in the future. And we'll have to catch up. So anyway, parents, if you were, you know, saying, well, I don't know if I want to do this, what are my kids going to be doing? I don't have child care. We have it, but it's not child care. It's called training. If you do have young ones, we have nursery and preschool available, but we're going to be training the children right alongside. So sign up today if you have not done that. You know, on the back of our uh, shirts says, welcome home. And I didn't understand this concept of, of central being uh, someone's home until I was a pastor here for several months. Uh, I was in charge of the, uh, the the pastoral care when I first came on staff here, so I would do all of the uh, the, the hospital visits, and we would get hospital calls uh, back before all the HIPAA laws and so on. We would get calls from the hospital and say, "So and so is in the hospital." They said, "Central's your, their home church." So and so in the hospital. I'm saying, "I have never seen these people. I don't know who they are." So you'd go and I'd visit them and say, well, "Yeah, I haven't been to Central for six years, but it's it's my, Central's my home. It's just my home." They need to visit somebody else. Like I haven't been there for about thirty-five years, but Central's my home. Like there's just something about the church. that's my home, you know. And honestly, I've heard it for, for ten years. People that have left and then have come back to our church, they'd say, you know, there's just nothing like Central. Central is our home. And people that leave and maybe don't ever come back, they'll say, wherever I go, wherever the Lord sends me, Central will always be my home. So we weren't thinking of like, what's a really cool slogan to say? What can we say? Honestly, we just feel like, you know, for like half of Washington County at one point or another, it's been their home. So that's what we're saying to you every Sunday. That's what we're saying to anybody that comes by here is welcome home. Welcome home. Simple as that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Some of you that are newer to Central, uh, you might not be sure of how this home is made up in beliefs and theology and so on. That's what we're going to talk about uh, today. Central Assembly of God is an Assembly of God church. You might not understand that Assemblies of God is a fellowship of churches. It makes up approximately 67 million people worldwide. Not just in the United States, but 67 million people worldwide. Central Assembly of God is considered a Pentecostal church. Can you say Pentecostal? Pentecostal, Pentecostal is based on our beliefs, but now we're going to get to that in just a minute. Pentecostal believers actually make up the largest group of believers worldwide. Now, in America, we wouldn't realize that. We would, they would call us like the crazies. Oh, that's a Pentecostal church. You better stay with it. No, listen. When you go into other countries where there's not a lot of medicine and there's not a lot of advanced technology, they actually need Jesus. If he doesn't show up, they die. If he doesn't show up, the demons continue to bother them. There's nothing else to add into their life. So they understand the significance of Pentecost. We've hid that in America, I think, quite well, but it needs to be brought back out as an important doctrine. So we are we a are part of the largest group of believers, the largest group in the entire world that follow Jesus, consider themselves Pentecostal. Say Pentecostal. Pentecostal. I want you to remember that word. So this word Pentecostal comes from the Old Testament festival called Pentecost, Okay. Pentecost comes from a word that means 50th. So the word 50th means it was 50 days at the. So Pentecost was a festival. It happened 50 days after the Passover. Say Passover. Passover. If you're not familiar with some of the Old Testament stories in the Old Testament, the Passover was when they had to put the blood of the Lamb over their doorposts and the angel, the death angel, passed over the Israelites in the night that next morning they were freed from hundreds of years of slavery. So it was God protecting them and then delivering them out of Egypt. If you translate that into the New Testament, what happened on the Passover? Very significant to us. Jesus was crucified. So Jesus was crucified on the Passover, okay? He's resurrected back to life. Three days later, and he spends the next 40 days appearing to people, still continuing to do signs and wonders and miracles, and like walking through walls and just appearing and then disappearing. All those fun things that Jesus can do. That happened for 40 days after Passover. Well, what's 10 more days after that? What's a total of 50 days after Passover? Pentecost. 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven, it was a day of Pentecost. There's a significant event that happened on the day of Pentecost that then gives us the, um, the, the right, the ability to say we are Pentecostal. That experience, that event that happened on the day of Pentecost was called the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the baptism with the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit coming upon them. There's a lot of different phrases and a lot of different translations that say a lot of different things. What happened there was Jesus poured out in a mighty way the Spirit of God upon believers and empowered them for service, empowered them to be effective witnesses, empowered them for a life of holiness and bringing about signs, wonders, miracles. And actually what happened on the day of Pentecost is the early church, the New Testament church, was birth. So that's our birthday. In fact, churches that say what happened on Pentecost is crazy, this or that, it's their birthday too. They just don't know it. They don't celebrate it the way we celebrate it. Maybe we'll say it that way. They get the same presents, we just celebrate it differently. (laughs) The church was birthed on Pentecost. Now, what makes us a Pentecostal church is we believe that that still happens today. Now, if it just happened on the day, if the baptism with the Holy Spirit just happened one time on that day and never again, we might say, oh, that was just for the birthday of the church. But we're going to show you today through teaching of God's word, and we're going to get into a lot of different scripture today, how it happened over and over and over and over again. Now, I'm not going to even be able to touch on how much more Paul teaches on it. But what we're going to go through are the instances where it happened. The reason why I'm going to teach it instead of preach it, it's different. Preaching would be all just setting you up for an experience with God. Teaching, I'm going to get into the word, and we're going to show you these things. I'm going to just Pray that you don't make this into a classroom lesson where you're just trying to understand it all, but let the word of God come into your heart so there's revelation. Revelation is like the eyes of your heart popping open. Does that make sense? Like if you've ever been reading something in God's word, like boom, like like a flashlight lights on. I've never seen it like that before. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm believing for, is that as we show you in scripture, you'll say, oh my goodness, this is for me. This isn't crazy. This isn't weird. They're not a bunch of, you know, fanaticals. This is actually biblical. This is in every Bible across the world. We didn't make this up. We didn't add this in because we decided to be a Pentecostal church. So if you're new or visiting, welcome home. We are a Pentecostal church. We are going to preach on one of the most important doctrines of the Assemblies of God today. The reason why we're going to take our time, and if the Lord wants me to teach on it next week, I will, is because I did not come from a Pentecostal background. So I came from two good churches uh, all the way through high schools in one church, just a non-denominational church. The other one, another non-denominational church it's good teaching, good preaching. We love Jesus. The only thing that kind of swayed my belief system a little bit when I was in high school, the pastor would just make some side comments when he would say something about the Holy Spirit working on our life. He goes, now listen here. He goes, you don't need to be rolling on the floor, foaming at the mouth and speaking in tongues, doing all that crazy stuff. So I always, I always associated like these people that would be rolling back and forth in the aisles, foaming at the mouth, and speaking in tongues, all coming together. So like, do you think I wanted that? Like, no, no way. So I come to Central Assembly of God, and they're in Assemblies of God Church, and I read in their booklet, this is what they believe. But then I'm like, wait a minute, if this is the church I'm going to attend, this is the church I'm going to uh, belong to, then I don't want it to be in a booklet. I want it to be in my life, like, I, that, that is a frustrating part of my life, I'm just being honest with you. Everything that's in our booklet, our doctrines, I actually want to experience, right? I want to live those things out in my life. So we believe that healing is for today. I want to see healing when we lay our hands on the sick and pray. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is one of our beliefs. It's not just because we're Central Assembly of God, it's because it's in the Bible. So I came to this church with resistance toward this. I was like, you know, it might just be for the crazies, but it's not really for me. I'm just walking my nice fine line of Christianity. I remember Pastor Bill just saying, you have to come to a point. He was an, uh, an associate pastor for 20 some years here, Pastor Ralph's son. He said, you have to come to a point where you say this, I'm going to put everything that, the, that human men and women have taught me on the table for a moment of time in my life. And I'm gonna, going to look to God's word. I'm going to look to God's word. Even on your handout, on the back of it, there's a chart. I don't want you to try to complete that thing today because you'll just try to get all the information in. I want you to take that home and I want you to dig into the word yourself until you and your heart comes to a point of saying, The baptism in the Holy Spirit is absolutely for today, and it's absolutely for me, no matter what church I've attended, no matter what background I've come from, no matter how messed up I've been before coming to Jesus, it's for me. And then you'll realize when you get it for you, it's actually not really for you. It's for all of the people around you who are dying and going to hell. That's why we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to teach, and, I, and I, again, I don't want you to try to figure out all the details. We're going, to, we're going to lay out a lot of things here in Scripture, but the more you try to calculate it, what you'll do is you'll turn it into a formula. You'll say, okay, so if they were kneeling like this, and this hand was up, and this one was like this, this is what I need to do. Now, no, no, what, what the Bible's doing is setting precedent, but the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. If God's bigger than us, we're never going to understand everything he does, Right? We love a God who's bigger than us until we desperately want to understand something. They say, well, I don't understand that. That seems really weird. They speak in tongues whenever they're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no way I'm doing That's just weird. Look at the Bible. Have you read the New Testament yet recently? I mean, the Old Testament will blow your mind if you can't grasp the New Testament stuff. So just set that aside. Have you read what Jesus did? How offended would you be if you were, you know, had blindness in one eye, even? You could see Jesus reaching down in the dirt and spitting on it and making some salve to go ahead and shove in your eye before he prays for you. That would, uh, that would deeply offend a lot of us, but your Savior did that. So like, I don't, I don't understand God, and that's a good thing because he's really, really big, and I'm really, really small. I just know this is biblical, and I know that there's a world that is dying and going to hell, and I know that Jesus commanded us to be baptized with his Holy Spirit for the purpose that the kingdom of God would be preached to all nations, and then the end would come. So we're sitting here, and we're not witnessing because we're not empowered, but we're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, and he's saying, wait a minute, I told you to go and go and go. He's sending us to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all nations and then the end will come. Unfortunately, the message that we're preaching to all nations isn't empowered by the Holy Spirit all the time, so we're not preaching the message that he wants us to preach because it's not followed by power. So when we preach the message that he wants us to preach, and I'm not talking about from the podium, I'm talking about every single person that calls themselves a Christian is a preacher of the gospel of the kingdom. I'm not called to ministry. I'm like a teacher. I'm an elementary teacher, so I don't need that. Yeah, yes, you do. You have, un, you have kids who are not Christian all throughout, come from broken homes. They need Jesus. Jesus. You might not be able to preach it right there, but when power flows and you lay your hands on somebody and the the boy says, oh my goodness, my ankle or my my elbow. What is this thing? This is an elbow. This is not an ankle. (laughs) My elbow's been hurting and now it's not. What's happening? Let me tell you about a, a man named Jesus that I know. No matter where you are in life, you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You need empowered for ministry. So, when I came back from El Salvador, I preached one message. I thought it was going to be one message, a spark, a spark before the fire. And now I think we're on week four, and whenever he says to stop, we'll stop. We just keep continuing to share messages with you, and Pastor Juan, about taking risks, about being filled with the fire of God, so that we are actually accomplishing the assignments that he gave us to accomplish while we're on this earth. If you have committed with me since the beginning of this year to pray through our church-wide manifesto, it's a church-wide prayer. Uh, pray regularly. It says One portion says this. This is what we've been praying all year. We ask you to send your revival fire through this church where we experience your manifest presence and power in every service and gathering. Now, we're going to actually be able to evaluate that, right? We say we're not playing church, but we're asking God to show up in his power and in his presence in every service. So we're asking for the supernatural being, the king of kings, the King of glory to come and touch hearts when we gather together. It says, let this revival fire sweep through us in such a way that we are changed and transformed, walking in true purity and power. I don't wanna be a church family that gets together for all of the, the, the fireworks and the excitement that goes out there and lives a life of impurity, right? So we're asking for his fire to come and burn deeply in us so that we will be pure and powerful. Later on, it says, we received the same assignment that Jesus received to destroy the works of the devil. That wasn't our choice. That was Jesus's choice too. Because he said the purpose why Jesus was sent was to destroy the works of the enemy. And then he said, so as I was sent, so are you. So he's the one that sent us with that same exact assignment. So when you think about the fire of God, it has multiple purposes. The fire of God is a purifying, refining fire, right? It leads toward repentance. It leads toward, it leads toward the holiness and following him. It's just an increased zoning in on the Father. The fire of God is also an empowering fire where it impassions us to get out of our comfort zone to do what only he can do. The day before you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'd be scared to death to talk to your boss about Jesus. And the day after something's changed and now you're willing to talk. There's a real boldness. There's a real power. There's a real courage that comes when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? It's not about an experience that happens here. It's not about standing here and you know, 35 years before, you know, ago, I, I spoke in tongues for 35 seconds and I got my badge and I'm baptizing the Holy Spirit. I'm a member of Assembly of God, God Church. No, it's for a lifestyle of power, not about an experience, but that God in his grace would be kind enough to you to allow Jesus to actually pour out the, whole, the person of the Holy Spirit upon your life to a point of overflowing for the purpose of power. Does that make sense? I'm not seeking an experience. We're talking about an experience, but we're actually talking about a person. His name's Holy Spirit. So I don't want to walk around my Christian life and say, I got an experience. That's not what this is about. This isn't about an experience. It's not about the moment that you raise your hand. It's about the relationship you're walking with with Jesus. So it's not the moment you're filled with the Holy Spirit that's the most important part. It's how you live after that. We can't do it on our own, so we need Him. That's why we're talking about what we're talking about. In Yosemite National Park, you'll see a picture of it. They used to have what's called a firefall. This firefall was a nightly summer event. It was, began in 1872. It continued for almost a century. What would happen is this. A bonfire was set at the top of a cliff for hotel residents to enjoy. So every night they throw this bonfire up. At 9 p.m. each night, the burning hot embers would be spilled from the top of the cliff to the valley 3,000 feet below. From a distance, it's said to appear as a glowing waterfall of sparks and fire. History tells it like this, that the founder of the village that was 3,000 feet below, every night right before 9 o'clock, he would stand at the base of this valley, the base of this cliff, and yell, Let the fire fall! And when they would hear that echoing, they would start to push, I have no clue how they started to push, the internet didn't tell me, but they would start to push these hot embers and these burning logs over this cliff, and they would watch this spectacular sight. And this happened for close to 100 years. The firefall ended in 1968 when the National Park Service ordered it to stop because of the overwhelming number of visitors that came to watch it at the bottom, and it trampled down their meadows, so they said, no more no more. Now we know the fire of God is a real thing. We know it's God actually coming through us in his power. So we're like a believer with the refining fire of God when we're at the top of that cliff, right? That bonfire was for the hotel residents to enjoy. And that fire, when, when the fire of God comes through you, in that initial stage, it's to purify you and refine you. It's for your benefit. But that firefall was not just for the benefit of those hotel residents. How many of you know that? Thousands upon thousands of people used to come to enjoy that. So when that person, that owner would yell, let the fire fall, it continued over almost a hundred years to attract many people to see what was happening. And that's exactly what the fire of God should do in your life. The fire of God is not just for you, but it should actually attract other people to you as a sign that points back to him. I don't want people to be attracted to me. How are they going to hear the preaching of the word if you know from day one it's not about you, it's about Him? And the fire of God in your life, through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, will actually attract people to you, and they'll say, "What's different about you?" And all you do is you point to Him. Do you understand? That's what, a sign, and a sign points to Him. So what happened in this firefall in Yosemite is that all these people came, and they trampled all over the meadows to see this this sight. And I believe when we catch this, we say, Father, I want your fire to burn deeply and brightly in me. I believe people will be attracted, not just to this church, but to Jesus. It's how revival starts. It's how reformation starts. It's how awakening starts. It's through the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the fire of God flowing and attracts people. But I want to suggest to you that this time around, there's not going to be a meadow that's destroyed. It's going to be the works of the enemy. It's going to be the enemy working in people's lives. They're attracted to the fire that's upon you, and you pray for them, and, it's, and, and they're free from something. They're happy, and they haven't been happy for years. They're healed, and they've been sick. They've been lost, and now they know Jesus. That you will see a sign and a wonder right in front of your face because of what God is doing in your life. And I believe the birth of that is through the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at your handout. I'm going to give you all the answers, and then we're going we're gonna to preach. Teach. Like I said, I was not from a Pentecostal background. A book that I read that after I knew, in fact, it was after I received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I read a book, if you want to write it down, because uh, I, I, I am aware. Listen, there are people here that, that just aren't ready, and they're like, I'm just not sure this is for today. Some people here might be like afraid. Some people here just might be you know nervous. I get all that. I was where you were. But... I'm encouraging you, look at the word first until you get it in your heart. This book I'm going to tell you about is just a great resource for the future. It's called The Glorious Disturbance. The Glorious Disturbance It's by Ernest Gentile. The book is called The Glorious Disturbance. It's by Ernest Gentile. I'm going to walk through some of these who, what, when, where, why, and then we're just going to look at, look at Scripture here. But I think these are just some simple questions that will help you out. First, who talked about it? The Apostle Paul talked about it, but not directly about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He encourages us and teaches us about spiritual gift, encourages us to stay filled with the Holy Spirit. The two people who talked about the, Holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit before it happened was Jesus and John the Baptist. So if you're an answer person, go ahead and write those down. Jesus and John the Baptist talked about it. Under who? Who does the baptizing? You know, I know people are confused. They're like up here, and because you know, they might be seeking the baptism, and like they're not sure what to do and how to stand, and eyes open and closed. Listen, it's clear in Scripture Jesus is the one doing the baptizing. God promised it, Jesus is the one doing it. So, how I picture it in my mind's eye is that the Father's saying to the entire generation from the day of Pentecost on until Jesus returns, I've promised you this gift, and it's all throughout Scripture I've promised you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hey, buddy, go ahead. And he taps Jesus on his shoulder, and Jesus has these buckets of the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit and just pours it out upon believers who are seeking his face. That's how I picture it in my mind's eye. So if I'm seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I'm seeking uh, an infilling of the Holy Spirit, I'm seeking Jesus to pour out the actual Holy Spirit upon me. You with me so far? I'm sorry you can't raise your hand with questions today, but we can talk after. Who should receive it? All believers. Not just people who join a Pentecostal church. Who should receive it? All believers. It was promised to all believers. So all believers should receive it. What is it? And what is it called? I filled those in so uh, to, just really to save time. What is it? The infilling of the Holy Spirit that is distinct from salvation and water baptism. Hopefully, we're going to break this open for you a little bit today to show you it is a different experience. I know some people teach that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is the same experience as being saved. We'll see in Scripture that it is not, and it's completely different than water baptism. You hear the word baptism, and you think, oh, yeah, that's going down into the water. It's not. It's different. What is it called? I'll probably call it four or five different names just today. Don't let that confuse you. In different parts of Scripture, there's different phrases, different translations. There's different wording. So all those names are, are ones that I've seen in different portions of Scripture. I won't take time to read that. When you look at salvation, salvation is the moment that you're born again. Your spirit is regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in you from the day you say yes to Jesus. Jesus. He is there as a guarantee, a deposit that you are God's child and that you are going to heaven. He's there as a counselor, a comforter, and a guide. Are you with me? So say this. Say, when I said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live in me. So you don't have to, this is one thing that confused me. Well, if I didn't receive the the baptism in the Holy Spirit, am I not saved? Yes, you're saved. Do I not have the Holy Spirit? Yes, you have the Holy Spirit you have to take the whole counsel of God. Water baptism. Water baptism is the moment when you go down into a tank of water, into a river, a lake, wherever, and what you're doing is you're publicly declaring to all who watch that you belong to Jesus. So it's a public declaration of your faith in Jesus. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not salvation. And it's not water baptism. It's the moment when Jesus pours his Holy Spirit upon you and fills you to overflowing for the purpose of being effective witnesses. What is the evidence? The next question now, what is the evidence that I have received it, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I believe there are two evidences. There's an initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. We'll see the very first time that it ever happens. It's actually a known language. Where they, these men and women that were filled with the baptism, with the Holy Spirit, they actually spoke in unknown languages. They were unknown to them. But everybody, and actually we're not going to read it, but it's later on in that chapter. Everyone around them actually understood in their own language what was happening. That's a very effective tool for witnessing in other nations, wouldn't it be? Say yes. Yes, it would be. Thank you. So I believe that, I believe that the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues is like the x-ray to a healed bone. It's outward evidence that an inward healing has happened. So I believe that tongues coming out and flowing from you is an outward evidence that something happened to you inward. I believe that there's an ongoing evidence <clears throat> of supernatural lifestyle. And I don't think that this has been taught enough. I've, I've only been with the Assemblies of God for 16 years. But I've seen in, in the past, and you know, I've done enough reading and research That a lot of times when we're preaching on the baptism, we will preach tongues so hard that when you come forward, you're actually just praying to have an experience to speak in other tongues. You're not actually praying for the person of the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon you. Now, I pray in tongues or pray in the Spirit. It's used interchangeably. I do that often, almost daily. So I know of the benefit. I know how it strengthens your spirit. That's just not for today. So I'm not demeaning the the, the evidence of speaking in tongues. What I'm saying is, the reason why you're filled is for power. So I don't want to have, like, you know, in your profile in our database, this person was filled with the Holy Spirit on this date. Okay, they spoke in tongues, we're good. No, it should have an ongoing lifestyle of the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you. That's what the purpose of this is for. Could you imagine 67 million people walking around speaking in tongues and thinking that's going to advance the gospel? No, I couldn't. It benefits you as a believer. It's a message and a public service that can be interpreted, but that's not the reason. The reason is for power. So why should I receive it? Two reasons. Number one, Jesus commanded it. Your Savior actually commanded this to happen. We could just stop right there and think about that for like 20 minutes. Many of you might not have realized that. Jesus actually commanded this to happen. Two is to receive power, to be an effective witness. I believe that the problem for most people who don't see the value in the baptism with the Holy Spirit is because they're not being a strong enough witness to actually require that empowerment. You'd say, I'm doing fine, I'm fine. I read my Bible, I pray, I'm nice to people, I try to share the love of God when he does. But if you actually think, if you're not seeing the significance and the value of walking in the fullness of God, then maybe you're not being an effective enough witnessing to rely on that. Because if you ask God, get me out of my comfort zone, put me into an impossible situation where you must show up or it's going to fail miserably, you will now know and see the value of empowerment. Does this make sense? So this isn't about, I'm doing fine, I don't need it. It's look at all of the people that if they died today, they would head to hell. And then look at the empowerment that we need to spread the gospel. I've been in too many services where I said, I don't don't need this. Like I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. Those are all the wrong questions, right? Well, do I have to speak in tongues? Well, what if I don't? Okay, how many of you are parents here? you ask your kids to do something and they say those two questions. Because a lot of Christians do that. Do I have to speak in tongues? Well, what if I don't get this experience? Will I still go to heaven? Parents, you ask your kids to do something. Well, do I have to do that? Well, what if I don't do that? What's going to happen? How big is my punishment going to be? All those are rooted in a wrong motive. You're trying to get out of something that you were told to do. Jesus commanded this to happen. So I'm not expecting you just to say, well, Jesus commanded it. So I'm ready. No, I want you to see it in the word. So there's revelation in your heart. When did people receive it? Under the wind, if you're following me along. Some people received it during their born-again experience. Some actually received it as they're being saved. They, there's evidence that they spoke in tongues, they were filled with the Holy Spirit with power. Most people in Scripture that I can see received it after they were born again. One of the biggest opponents to Pentecostal living and baptism of, in the Holy Spirit says, just the group... The, you know, group of Christians that say that it's not for today would say, there's only one baptism with the Holy Spirit, and that's the moment that you're saved. I'm going to show you over and over again today that's not true. People are absolutely born again and then filled with the Holy Spirit. Where? That's on the back of your handout. And how? I'm going to let you handle as we preach the word, as we teach, and in your own time. So grab your Bibles. I'm reading out of the NIV, so if you're using a pew Bible today, that's a little bit different of a translation, we're going to be all right. If you want to go to Luke chapter three, we're going to tear in a little bit to the before, the during, the after, and the result. But once again, please don't sit there with a pencil trying to do all the fill-ins. I want your heart to receive revelation today. All right. We can do this. When I'm done teaching today, this is going to be this simple. We're going to ask people to come forward. If you've never received the baptism with the Holy Spirit and you feel like you are ready, you have faith to receive that today. You're going to be asked to come forward. If you've been filled years ago and you're just not walking in power, you're going to be asked to come forward. And we're going to pray. Okay. We said I I I made a mention. I just want to clarify a few weeks ago. I had said when we have just one service, it gives us freedom to like seek God for a really long time at the end of service for people who want to. But I think the reverse might be happening that as soon as we call people forward, there's like a mass exodus of people leaving. I don't want it to be a distraction to anybody coming forward. we're actually asking for the almighty God to show up, that Jesus pours out his spirit. So I don't want someone to be distracted as people are leaving when they're coming forward for that. If we are going to allow an extended period of worship, like past noon, we're just gonna go as long as God wants, we'll actually close in prayer. We'll bless you guys. And you'll, you'll know you can leave if you want to, you can stay if you want to. But when we call people forward, one of the best things that I learned, one of the best ways that I learned um, what happens when people are filled with the Spirit or touched by God and touched by the power is by being in services. And sometimes like scared to death way back there, just like, what's going on up there? What's happening? Is something happening? So just stay and press in and pray. God, what do you have for me? Let me grow in this, in this area. You with me? Yep. All right. All right, Luke chapter 3. This is John the Baptist. We'll just start at verse 2. It says, during the... the the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God, came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. This is John the Baptist here. He went into all the countries around the Jordan, uh, into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Everybody say water baptism. John preached repentance. Turn from your sins and turn toward God. Change the way you think. And it was a water baptism. So when somebody would say, I'm a sinner. I need forgiven of my sins, so I need God. Because Jesus didn't die for his sins yet. They didn't know who Jesus was yet. They were baptized in water to show they were turning from their sins. So this is John the Baptist, go to verse 15. It says, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all. I baptize you with? But one more powerful than I will come the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, this is not a water baptism. Jesus did not baptize anybody in water. In fact, we don't even see people being baptized with the Holy Spirit until Jesus went up to heaven. Why? Because the way I picture it is, he had to get his bucket of the Holy Spirit to pour out on us. Right? So he ascended. The father said, all right, buddy. All right, son, it's time. (laughs) and the buckets start pouring. So he's saying, I baptize you with water. You know what that word baptism means there? It means to immerse, to fully dip or dunk. He says, I baptize you with water, but this guy here, Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You know what that baptism means? To fully immerse, to dip in and under. It's the same word, a little bit different of root word, but it means the same thing. So John is immersing you into water and Jesus is immersing you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer. We seek Jesus, not an experience. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Last chapter of the book, last few verses of the book. Luke was a doctor. Luke wrote the book of Luke and Luke wrote the book of Acts and we're gonna camp out in Acts uh, After one more verse. This is now Jesus teaching about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Actually, this is Jesus is talking about what's, what's about to happen when he ascends. It says, then he opened their minds. This is Jesus. He opened their minds. This is verse 45. Verse 45. Sorry, I started reading. Luke chapter 24, verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So where is is the message supposed to start? In Jerusalem. But the promise, Jesus also said in another book, that when his gospel is preached to all nations, the end will come. So the, 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 the gospel was supposed to start in Jerusalem and spread. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. So God promised it, Jesus gives it. I am going to send you my Father's promise. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Because Jesus was really smart. And Jesus knew that we needed power to effectively preach his message. Because it was never meant to just be preached with words, but with actions to follow. So Jesus is, is clarifying some things. God promised it. I'm going to give it. You wait there until you receive it. When you receive it, you will have power. with me okay the next book is book of john go all the way back to the end of the end of john in chapter 20 if you were in luke john's the next book all the way to the end of john john chapter 20 verse 19 we'll start there this is after his resurrection so he's resurrected but he has not gone to heaven yet It says, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Are they empowered yet? Oh my goodness. They're locked in a room in fear. And these are the guys that he's saying, go ahead and like spread my gospel to the entire world and then I'll come back. And like translate that to 2016 and you know your boss is just like a mean dude. And you know he's coming in. And you know you have the chance to witness. And you know you have the chance to pray because you know his marriage is broken. And you're sitting in that chair and you're just like these disciples, locked in your room, afraid. Because you haven't received power yet. Jesus says, I don't even know where I stopped. Peace to you. We'll start there. After this, he said, he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when he saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So like there's, there's now an assignment here. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I'll stop there. If Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, how many of you think that they had the Holy Spirit in them at that time? Right? Right? Now, he already gave them instructions to go to a city and wait until he did something else, but now before he ascends, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So if the Bible says receive the Holy Spirit, I believe that they received the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's in them. They're born again. They're following Jesus, but they're still told to wait to go to Jerusalem until he does something else, but he won't be with them. So how is this going to happen? It's not going to be something he does physically. It's a spiritual experience. Let's go to Acts, next book over. Acts chapter one. You guys all right? Acts chapter one, verse four. Luke wrote, Luke and Luke wrote Acts. So you're getting two. It's kind of like if you told a story to one person and you told a story to another, that you might leave out some details and include some other details. This is the same situation that we just read in late, at the end of Luke, about Jesus saying, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power. This is just another, uh, another, Another way he told it. Verse 4. Actually, in verse 3, it says that he showed them himself to these men uh, with convincing proofs for a period of 40 days. Passover happened. He was, he was crucified. 40 days later, he's about to ascend. What's 10 days after that? The day of Pentecost. You guys are smart. It's good. All right, verse 4. It says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this suggestion. He gave them this recommendation. He gave them this command. If you see a command of Jesus in the Bible, you need to look at, is this just for context, just for that day, or is this for all believers? The context part of this is that he's telling them to wait in Jerusalem. He couldn't expect all of us to go to Jerusalem, right? So in context, that command is stay in Jerusalem. It's for them. But in context, because we see the baptism in the Holy Spirit over and over and over again, we know that that command applies to all believers. Jesus commanded this. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. Well, some people say, what is that promise? How do we know what that gift is? I'm happy that you asked. Because Jesus says, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, you're already born again, you've been baptized in water, now in a few days something else is going to happen. In verse 8, he tells the result of what is going to happen. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is a huge difference. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you when you're born again. The Holy Spirit comes upon you when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's a difference, in, and we need to realize that. He's in you. I heard Bill Johnson say it before. He's in you for your benefit. He comes upon you for the benefit of others. It is good. I didn't make it up, though. So he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. What did he say in Luke? He said, start in Jerusalem. But it's saying it's going to go out now to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he said, I think it was in Matthew. When the gospel goes to the ends of the earth, the end comes. Jesus has like this all figured out. We just have to jump on the train. Also, we, have, we just have to listen to what he's saying. Let's do this. We're gonna go through a lot of these. Acts chapter two. The very first time we see evidence in scripture of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I believe these people were born again already because Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He's already ascended. Chapter two, verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, Sometimes we think that Pentecost is like, that Pentecost was named after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, Pentecost was the Old Testament festival. It happened to be that day. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated on them and rested on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If you look back in chapter 1, we're not going to, but there were about 120 people in that room, and they were all filled. Now, we know what was happening before is this. They were together and they were waiting for a promise. They were praying. They were in one accord. There was unity. So this loud wind comes through, this physical sign of fire comes and separates upon them and they are now empowered to speak in another language that they don't know, but other people around them do know and they hear it. It's a sign and a wonder. Are you following me? I've been been in services where many people have been filled with the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the loud wind didn't come, the tongues of fire didn't come, nothing shook, but people were still filled with that evidence. So don't create a formula that all this has to happen and line up right. No, you just ask Jesus, pour the Holy Spirit out on me. Just ask Jesus and seek him. The result of this is this. There were disciples locked in a room 10 days before this, afraid. Afraid for their lives. Afraid that the soldiers were going to come and arrest them. And one experience with the Holy Spirit And Peter steps out of that room and he preaches to thousands of people who are there for this festival. And in one day, the church goes from 120 members to 3,120 members. That's a good day for the church, isn't it? 3,000 people get born again and actually get water baptized that day. And it was because one person was in a room that got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we see here; it doesn't say they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What language is being used? It says that the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit in you when you're born again, and there is a filling, an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four, starting at verse twenty-three. We'll read a couple of verses there. Peter and John were preaching in the streets. Well, how in the world were they that bold to preach in Jerusalem? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were arrested. They were threatened. The the Sanhedrin did not know how to punish them, so they kicked them out. But they told them, do not speak of this Jesus. They threatened them and went back. So what would you think, right? The average Christian in America would be like, I don't want to get sued. I don't want to get fired. There's no way I'm talking about Jesus again. So what do they do? It says, on their release, verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. When they heard this, they got scared. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And let's see what their prayer says in verse 29. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats. I love that. The disciples aren't considering their threats. They're saying, Lord, you consider their threats. He says, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they're praying and they're asking for boldness and they're asking for power. And guess what happens? In verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, it doesn't say they spoke in tongues here, but there is a result that there was boldness because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to catch this. Were these people believers? Were they disciples already? Absolutely. Peter and John went to their own people. So they already had the Holy Spirit in them. And then they were all filled. In fact, I would like to propose to you that some of these people were there on the day of Pentecost. If they were all filled, Peter and John were filled again with more boldness. I got that back in 1973. I don't need it again. Peter and John did. They were all filled again. Acts chapter eight. If you know the story of Acts, Stephen was martyred. He was killed for his faith. And the church persecute, uh, there was persecution in the church and now it's scattered. But the result is, is this. Guess who was scattered? A whole bunch of people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) See, that's the thing. We don't have to worry about what laws are passed in the United States and they're going to persecute us, this or that. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're kicked out of your home or we're kicked out of this building, it doesn't matter. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to go and just take the gospel somewhere else. It didn't slow them down. They didn't have enough gas money. They didn't do this. No, they spread and they went and they preached. So it says here in verse four of chapter eight, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip was performing, I'm summarizing now, Philip was performing signs and wonders. There's a man named Simon. Can you say Simon? Simon was a sorcerer. So Simon excelled in witchcraft. Simon did his own signs and wonders, but it was in the empowerment of the devil. But it says here, verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. So that would be really cool to have a church filled with, with the Holy Spirit, that we can go out and reach the witches and the warlocks of Washington County. They exist. You might not think they do. They exist. Right? We'll set up like a recovery program for them. And he's saying, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody, somebody in high school, call out, let the fire fall. And when the fire of God falls upon them, now their school starts getting set free from people that are involved in witchcraft. That's just how this is supposed to work. It's in your book too. It's not just a part of my message. In verse, 13, uh, verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John. See, these guys, there's evidence they were filled twice. Maybe they were twice as powerful. I don't know. Verse 15, when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that, that didn't make sense to me at first. because I'm like, wait a minute. If they believed, didn't they receive the Holy Spirit? In context, the apostles are not talking about, did you receive it when you were born again? Because what follows? It says, they did not receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They were simply baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were born again and they were baptized. They had salvation, they had water baptism. And then it says in verse 17, Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit what do you mean they received it? Were they born again? No. They, the Holy Spirit actually came upon them. It doesn't say they were bold. It doesn't say they were courageous. It doesn't say they spoke in tongues. But a sorcerer who just got born again, if you read in verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given on at the laying on of hands, he offered them money and said, give me this ability so that everyone I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Do you think something boring or something significant happened if a sorcerer was about to offer money to do what just happened? Probably something significant. It doesn't say what happened. I'm just saying if a sorcerer that just got born again is like, I got cash, can I please have this power? Something happened in these people's lives. Chapter nine, two more. Say Paul. Paul's the apostle that wrote most of the New Testament. His name was Saul before he was born again. Jesus encounters him, knocks him to the ground. He's blind for three days. Jesus also talks to Ananias and says, go to the house where Paul is and pray for him. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. It says, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, as you were coming here, has sent me that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what happens in verse 18? Immediately, something like scales fall off Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up. He was baptized. That's a water baptism. He's born again. He can see again. He was water baptized. Well, it doesn't say anything about being bold. Well, in verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And then we see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Paul the apostle was filled with the Holy Spirit. What was he doing? He was seeking God when this happened. What was happening the previous times? They were praying. They were seeking God. They were being taught by the apostles. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And evidence after evidence after evidence that there was a power, there was a supernatural lifestyle to follow. Last one, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was a Roman soldier, a centurion actually, he had a vision that God said, hey, send some people to get this guy named Simon. He's not the sorcerer. This is Simon who's called Peter. Peter's the apostle. Okay, so Cornelius has a vision from God, go send for Peter. About the same time, Peter, someone's making him lunch and it's noon, he falls into a trance. You say, well, trance, that's weird. It's in the book. He falls into a trance and has a vision from God. God says, go see this man, Cornelius, okay? So it's like a a really unique miracle that happens to both people. If you want to start at, let's just go straight to verse 44. Adam, you can come up with your team. Verse 44 of Acts chapter 10. So Peter goes into the house. This is at Cornelius' house. If you look at this, there are probably hundreds of people. You would think, well, where in the world would hundreds of people fit in my house? At that time, they had courtyards in the middle of their living space. So there could be hundreds of people. It was a church service. All these people came. It says that they were God-fearing, but God-fearing in the Old Testament would have meant that they believe in the God of Jehovah, but they, they, they didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior yet. In every other instance, there's evidence that these people were born again before they received it. But now it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit didn't come in them. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Well, that's just for the Old Testament. That's just for the Jerusalem. That's just for, the, no, the Gentiles. These people were far away. If you didn't put the map up before, you can throw it up there. You see the first two times that it happened, it was in Jerusalem. You can't read the words. I'm just telling you, that's Jerusalem there. The third time up here is in Samaria. The fourth time was up in Damascus with Paul. The fifth time now in Caesarea. This is what we're talking about. This is Cornelius. These people are not Jews. They they don't have a Jewish descent. They're Gentiles, and they're being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then then, um, Paul in Acts 19, which we're not going to get to today, is over in Ephesus, where he lays hands upon them. But it says here, the circumcised believers, verse 45, had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. How did they know? Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So Peter says, can any one of these people uh, be from being, can you keep these people from being baptized with water? They had received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So he's saying, listen, we, If they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, they were cut to their heart, they're born again, and then they're water baptized here. And then you see evidence again of the gospel going out even further. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes into Ephesus, and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were born again? And they were like, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. No, we haven't received it. That doesn't mean they didn't receive it, right? The Bible's so clear, you receive the Holy Spirit as soon as you say yes to Jesus. So, Paul goes and he lays his hands on them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And you see, they receive the Holy Spirit, they speak in other tongues, and the gospel continues to go out. Not because they spoke in other tongues, but because they were empowered with the Holy Spirit. So, I want you to see this is a command that Jesus gave us, it's a promise the Father gave us, it's something that Jesus does in our lives. It's absolutely for today. It's absolutely for you. And I believe that we can do what that man at the bottom of the valley did every night at nine o'clock is just to say, Let the fire fall. And I'm not saying you have to come up front and be all you know crazy and screaming. If that's your personality, that's fine. Oftentimes with me, it's just when I'm whispering to the Lord that just let your fire fall. Just and I just close myself off with the Lord. And we're just asking Jesus to do a significant work. Many of you know Morgan Pyatt. She just left for the Marines a few weeks ago. I want to read this to you because this girl is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's using her in power. Dear church family, I've been at boot camp for about two weeks. It's three now. The days are very long, but time seems to go by a lot faster already than what it did originally. The first week wasn't bad at all, but week two has been full of stressful times with my very insane drill instructors. If you know Morgan, it would be even funnier. She's just great girl. The two aren't too terrible, but the third is not fun to deal with. On the bright side of things, my body has been holding up well. I'm very excited to share this next thing with all, with you all. I applied to be a lay reader, which is a person in our platoon who is allowed to pray with people for five minutes each night and do devotions. Yesterday, I found out that I got one of the positions. If you know Morgan, she weighs about 75 pounds, and she's in Marine Boot Camp. And her first few weeks there, she's applying to share the gospel, to teach it, preach it, and to pray for people. And God is going to move. God is going to move. How many of you know, if you would, the top 10 most dangerous places to be, you know, to share the gospel, any type of boot camp might be on the top 10 list. She is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and God's going to use her in great ways. She says, also, my rackmate is not a believer, and she's not, she says she's not religious, but I'm believing God will use me to change that before these three months are over. So I'm thinking, okay, she's, she's facing resistance. The next sentence, she's been going to church with me. I think it's that easy. <laughs> she's not religious, not a believer, but she's coming to church with me. <laughs> Since we're together 24-7, I hope to get close to her and share the love of Jesus with her. Please keep me in your prayers as I continue this journey. I need to stay mentally and physically strong. But more importantly, I want to have the boldness to begin my mission here on Paris Island. You know, she knows that her mission is not just to be a Marine. She is on a much higher and much more bold mission sent by God. And she's been baptized with the Holy Spirit. We need baptized with the Holy Spirit. I just ask that you stand at this time. I would like you, if you're a pastor, a spouse, an elder, a spouse, you just come forward and just face outward. If you're on the altar team and you have faith to just believe with us today and you want to pray with people, you can come on down and just face. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.